Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lawrence Doan, and today we are joined by Dr. Andrew Sproul. He grew up on the central coast of New South Wales, and he was a dental assistant for 15 years before becoming a dentist. He practices as a general dentist and principal slash owner of a dental practice on the central coast of New South Wales. He has a special interest in children's dentistry and orthodontics, in addition to all other aspects of general practice dentistry. Dr. Andrew Sproul, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lawrence. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so full disclosure, me and Andrew, we've met before as colleagues as the ADA New South Wales Recent Graduate Committee. And um, prior to that, he was actually on the ADA VIC as a counsellor and director. So are there any differences, would you say, in between the VIC and New South Wales State Committees for the amount of time that you were in it? Um, unfortunately, I was uh, in the New South Wales sort of committees um, very recently, well, very, very briefly um, this year and sort of due to moving back home to the Central Coast and um, just sort of focusing on clinical dentistry and, and you know, buying into practice and stuff. Um, but um, I, I don't think there's really a lot of difference between um, well, very small amount of exposure to New South Wales committees and Victorian committees. Um, other than to say, I'm hoping to get back there um, next year and get on a committee again. And um, you know, is there a difference between being a councillor versus a committee member? Um, look, oh, look, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I, I think you know, essentially, committees. Um, you know, I guess you're advocating for your community, and um, uh, you know, um, you know, if, if you're on a sports committee, for example, you, you're you're reaching out there to try and get members and the, the community involved or the dental community involved. Um, I think uh, essentially streamlining down from um, counselling, uh, you're you're literally an advocate for ADA Federal as a whole, I guess. So um, regardless of whether you're on a committee brand, a committee or on a, a sort of a council role, I think we're all pretty much doing the same things to help the um, the dental community and professionals. Um, I think the the main difference is like being a counsellor. And if, if, if anyone ever gets the opportunity and is interested in doing it, it's a fantastic role. And, and I think in summary, to, to quickly summarise it, although we were here all night talking about ADA stuff, um, is that essentially it gave me a voice. And um, I've usually got quite a, quite a voice and I like to have an opinion about things. <laughs> I think being an advocate for like the demographic at the time, um, you know, being a young graduate dentist at the time, not young as in age young, but <laughs> as a, being a mature age student or a mature age graduate, um, I think that was the best part about actually having a vote to, to sort of help lead the way that the profession might go with that representation of an association. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, so I guess like if you have an opinion um, and you want to make some contribution, definitely join in and to voice that. Otherwise, you know, sometimes it might not be heard. A hundred percent. I think any, you know, um, council or, or um, you know, committee branch, like our committee, the different committees, um, it's unreal. It's actually meeting people um, in the profession that are like-minded and um, interestingly enough, meeting some different specialists and some really cool people that lead you on a path of different things and stuff as well. But I think if you've got a little bit of time, a little bit of interest and you, you know, well, 
you know, you want to go out and meet people in the profession, go go join a, a committee. I, I believe ADA New South Wales at the moment has just put out their new ad to, to join a committee. So now's probably a bit of a time for me to give a plug, even though I'm not on ADA New South <laughs> Wales at the moment. But yeah, do it. Go for it. Mm. So let's dive into your CPD, your dental journey. So how did that how did that develop into a special interest in children's dentistry and orthodontics? Yeah, well, it's it's a bit of a long story again. In the interest of um, keeping it brief, I think you know I was a dental assistant for you know fifteen years of in my early part, and um, you know I started off being a dental assistant in a, in a public clinic in Hornsby, and um, you know then sort of reached out and started working at the Children's Hospital Westmead, and then for a private pediatric dentist, and I I just bloody loved working with kids. It's probably the most rewarding experience for me. Um, you know, general dentists, I love working with adults as well. Um, but then, um, you know, um, I studied psychology, then got into dental school and finished dentistry, spent, you know, the first couple of years um, with, a, with a really great mentor, actually. Um, but it wasn't until I sort of moved kind of the central coast and just thought to myself, what is it that I really like about dentistry? And um, you know, there's always that conversation that a, a dentist will graduate and then go, oh, you know, maybe I want to be a specialist or maybe I want to want to do these things. Um, for me, it was just about realizing that there's a lot of a lot of young families, a lot of children around on the Central Coast, and to be able to be actually offering a service that I just love doing. Like most days, I go to work feeling like just loving my job. So um, there, there was a lot of influential people and, and roles within. Um, my work as a dental assistant and the places that I worked, there was heaps of people that inspired me to do this. And um, then literally um, attacking CPD and looking at ways to better my education in doing what I'm doing to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. So that's that's sort of the inspiration for getting there. Um, I'm not really sure that I'm there yet, but um, <laughs> I'm definitely doing what I, I want to do. So. Yeah, well, I mean, let me try to get this right. So basically you were a dental assistant um, in the public and then somehow you aligned yourself with a pediatric dentistry um, kind of clinic. And then did you kind of continue, because you were, were you a practice manager at one point at, as yeah. a specialist? Yeah, so there's little boxes to tick on my life here. But there's, <laughs> um, so I, I was a dental assistant and I, I worked in the public. Um, health, as I said, and then um, sort of the Children's Hospital at Westmead and Westmead Hospital. And then um, one of the pediatric dentists uh, who worked there, um, I'm pretty sure I can say her name, Philippa Sawyer, bloody marvellous person. Um, she gave me a really great opportunity to come and work with her in a private practice and set up her practice and then ultimately um, become the practice manager. And, and, and I think all this time, every dentist that I've worked for, and so there's this multitude of dentists, so getting this awesome picture of how to handle different situations and all this sort of stuff in the back background. All I want to do is be a, be a dentist. And um, anyway, I guess ultimately she was the, the last person that really just, um, you know, pushed me to get there. So I think um, it was sort of private, private dentistry and private pediatric practice. And um, then even, you know, I moved interstate to Adelaide and then I'm working in pediatric dentists over there and stuff. So I, I think uh, pediatric dentistry or children's dentistry, I'm not a specialist, Children's dentistry for me was just the go-to because I, I actually really enjoy it. And there's, you know, I get more satisfaction out of um, seeing a kid come back for their checkup in a really positive way going, Andrew, Andrew. Uh, in the same way, some people might see this beautiful DSD of, you know, six to six crowns and going, oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, look at those cute kids. So, yeah, that's um, <laughs> pretty much me. 
Right, yeah. And then, so basically what you're saying is like you, you kind of fell into it and then you kind of realized you really liked it and it just kind of resonated with you and then you had these opportunities that kind of led to the next point. And then how does this psychology degree kind of come into all of that? Look, if I'm being honest, um, psychology was um, sort of a stepping stone to become able to apply to a university to get into dentistry. So um, initially, psychology was a a step to get some sort of undergraduate degree so that I could be competitive with the old 18-year-olds. But uh, it was was an awesome stepping stone because it gave me some really – beginner's tools and and if I still think back to some of those principles like I still use them um, in the surgery with like a really difficult child or or controlling the parent or managing how the parent might behave in that appointment so I think it was actually a really good tool to have got. Right and as much as we don't really ask for tips and tricks but what was it that you have found that was helpful because you're kind of alluding to it but. Oh well I'm just sort of saying that I, I think you know most of the time um, a, a lot of the troubles of, of getting a, a child patient to actually do something in the chair is, you know, obviously their behaviour, so behaviour management um, techniques, but also controlling the environment because really the kid can only listen to one person and that person is the person, you know, giving the injection or doing the stainless steel crown, whatever it is, but then it's also learning how to manage the parent in the background because let's face it, right, it's, it's, a, it's a lot about the parent on the end of the chair and, you know, it's not going to hurt, it's not, not that sharp and, you know, so, um, uh, yeah, just, just little techniques and in, in ways to manage that. So, and, and that's, that was like, like partly psychology, uh, psychology, but also watching these fantastic specialists do it day after day after day. So credit is mostly probably to them, to be honest. Mm, uh, right. And so you, you're completing this and you're, you're preparing yourself ready to get into dentistry and you get in now at this point and then you go through it and obviously you know at the time when you're going through it there's not a i mean pediatric dentistry isn't a large um focus um within the course right and so you graduate and you come out i mean and you've tasted all these other different types of dentistry as you would when you're um when you're studying and then how do you how do you say to yourself at this point that you still want to stick to it and not maybe want to deviate to something else? I mean, where do you start picking your CPDs and you know because you've come out and are you looking for a practices that specifically focused around pediatric dentistry? Like, yeah. what's your mindset? That's a big question, Lawrence. No, um, but no, I hundred percent. I, I think um, you know in the back of my mind, even at uni. Um, you know, I really like student clinic and, and do I think it's particularly well taught? Probably not. Um, do I think, you know, there's a big emphasis on as a dental student? Probably not um, because I feel, you know, it's always sort of put back to the oral health therapist um, to, to you know, manage children. Um, I, I, like, I appreciate that um, children's dentistry is not for every dentist. So um, when I was when I, I had all these great things and I really particularly like minor like oral surgery things like extractions and, and that sort of stuff when I first graduated. And so I was um, working at a practice in Geelong and one of the best parts about that was, um, this is my first ever job. Um, and the, the principal dentist was so good at helping you with ethical dentistry, right? So teaching you the basics about what's the right decision to make by the patient and what to do for the patient. So anyway, so I started doing this thing and then I'm like, oh, wow, do I really like doing crowns? Oh, do I like doing distractions? 
And then I guess there was more and more children coming through the practice. It sort of just started me leading me to go, you know, if I ever specialize one day, would I specialize in pediatric dentistry? And then when I moved back home to the Central Coast, I got that opportunity because, you know, when you're starting to build your book, right, you're seeing lots of families, checkups and all that sort of stuff. And then I was just seeing the fact that, you know, there's only one pediatric dentist who comes to the Central Coast and, you know, I was starting to refer patients out for GAs and, and whatnot. And, you know, there's a waiting time or the patient couldn't get in to see them. And I'm like, hang on, I've got this skill and I really enjoy doing it. So why not investigate that avenue? So um, CPD wise, um, you know, when you, I guess when you're, um, you know, talking to a parent about taking a child and, and doing the treatment under general anesthesia in most cases, um, you know, you better, be, you better be knowing your stuff about how to put a stainless steel crown on, when to exo, you know, permanent molars, um, how to do a pulpotomy, what, you know, what the prognosis is of doing a pulpotomy. And um, so I, I, on the CPD front, there was some really great um, uh, free CPD on ADA from Juliet Scott talking about pulpotomy, stainless steel crowns and taking you through some cool footage about that. So those sort of things are things that I like, like doing. Um, but then it was like, I was in GA extracting primary teeth and, you know, no one's putting space maintenance in, you know, there was all these consequences of tooth movement and all that sort of stuff from early extraction. So that sort of got me down the, the ortho line. And then, so basically all my CPD now is just sort of being based on, um, orthodontics really like GP ortho and just it's an awesome complementary part to what I do um, with paid stuff so yeah right so you basically came out you got you found a practice and coincidentally it is a very ethical kind of boss that's trying to teach you um, that kind of approach and then you find yourself um, somehow growing with more kids um, as your clientele and that happens and then you end up moving back to uh, New South Wales. And then at that point, you're also doing the same thing again and you're still applying the same kind of teachings and learnings and you're still getting more of these kids. Um, and then at this point, you're kind of, uh, and you can correct me at any point if I'm wrong, but um, at this point, you're starting to pick more um, pediatric dentistry in terms of CPD um, to pick from and you're looking on ADA, are you looking anywhere else or? Yeah, I, so I, I think one of the other things, um, you know, there, there is, you know, not a great lot of CPD out there for, for peds and children's dentistry, honestly. Um, so what I sort of did was um, became a member of ANZSPD and IAPD, looked at sort of the, the specialist um, associations or, or societies, and they let you have um, general membership for a general dentist. But they've always got some um, awesome... Um, uh, videos and stuff on there that you can actually watch they sort of open their research papers and all that sort of stuff there's no real difference to joining another um specialist um study club so i i get my information from there sort of so as well so um but yeah it's it, it's it sort of is what it is i mean you learn these these techniques but also um just learning about and sort of watching people do it online the other thing is to um, is, you know, spending time with specialists. So I think um, an awesome part of my journey of being a dental assistant and actually wanting to be a dentist was I was really enthusiastic about watching them and learning what they were doing. So I got a quite a lot of insight just from watching these guys day after day after day and 15 years of it, um, you know, like I could see how a stainless steel crown was done and that sort of thing. So yeah, a lot of it's finding, finding membership with um, different societies as well because they've got the goods, but 
Mm. I think that's an interesting point for because a lot of graduates when they graduate they don't realize that there are these study clubs outside that are specialist study clubs that you as a general dentist can uh, go and attend because um, they may not actively promote it or whatnot and so yeah graduates definitely if they have a particular interest can go to these study clubs when you're attending you know pediatric dentistry CPDs one of the things that um, I feel graduates might feel a bit of um, a hurdle to get better in is that they're an associate. They're an associate in a practice and they're talking about stainless steels, they're talking about space maintainers, um, and then they're in a practice where they don't have these materials, right? Um, so, I mean, what would you say to that? So I, I would say like, you know, if you, if you go back to uni and, you know, uh, the principles for doing a stainless steel crown, for example, um, you know, if, if the principal is not doing stainless steel crowns, like literally the technique is much faster than doing like a, a GIC or, you know, with a matrix band and whatever. Um, and and it, it's a longer lasting restoration and it's the restoration of choice. So I would say, you know, um, uh, bearing in mind, understanding what it is like to be a new graduate and asking for things, um, I, I would say approach the principal and just say, look, this technique is proven. It's really good. Um, it's actually a kit of stainless steel crowns is really not that expensive in comparison to um, four or five GAC capsules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you know, I, I, I think you know, uh, as a new graduate, you're not you're not sitting there asking for thing day after day after day. Like, oh, you know, I want steric box. I want you know, the, you're 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 getting in and trying to be the best you can. But also just don't be afraid to have a conversation with the principal dentist and just say, hey, you know, I've heard these are really good. I'd really like to do it. Do you have much insight into them? Why do you prefer doing, you know, GICs with matrix bands that fall out six months later or, you know, what, you know. But I think don't be afraid to ask, especially, um, you know, there's heaps of stuff out there on how to do a stainless steel crown. Search it on Google or, you know, um, but um, don't be afraid to ask the principal, but also maybe, maybe sort of talk about the reasons why you might want to do it. So, you know, a definitive treatment option um, and you're trying to do the right thing by the patients. Maybe it's that the principal just never done stainless steel crowns and, and just goes, uh, you know, because, you know, I, most, most dentists I talk to don't do a lot of them anyway. So they're sort of like, uh, uh, oh, do mesial slicing, uh, you know, but it's actually, you know, we're, we're all running around doing, um, you know, Emacs crown preps and stuff, but th this is like a piece of cake. But I, I think don't be don't be scared to ask the principal. Don't be don't be scared to reach out and say I'd really like to try and do this. I think they're they're a lot more receptive than what you think. About. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, open have an open dialogue, um, and you know, I guess if you're at a point where it is feasible, then maybe get it, um, and then again have another dialogue with the principal about how and that you know remuneration kind of goes. The, the other thing I was going to say is you've got that potential of, I'm sure there's pediatric dentists in your area. Um, they're, they're pretty much everywhere. Why not go and spend a day with them and learn and watch what they do? Like, you know, ask them if they can go to GA with them and watch them place a stainless steel crown or do a pulpotomy. Um, and then, then you sort of geared up, you know, right? You go back to the principal and say, this is, this is awesome treatment. So, yeah, I, I don't, don't be too worried about asking. It's not like you're asking for a prime scan or something like that. <laughs> So, I mean, at this point, okay, so you're, you're, you're becoming more comfortable within pediatric dentistry. And then now you decide that, hey, it's this, I'm seeing patients that are having these ortho issues as well. You know, I have to do space maintainers, but I, I really should dive into orthodontics because it's, like you said, complementary. 
um, in regards to that. So, what do you decide to do at this point to get learn more about it? Yeah, literally, it, it's sort of you know I I know there's like a, a few prominent um, Australian courses, um, and so I'd sort of looked into those. Um, I, I think one of the the biggest challenges of new slash recent graduates or you know, not long after graduating is you're trying to earn an income. And so you, you're going, oh, you know, um, $30,000 for a course, bloody hell, where am I going to pull that from? You know, I'm trying to buy a house or whatever. So um, initially I was sort of looking for probably what I could afford at the time. Um, but then I was literally looking for something that might um, have information on dentofacial orthopedics and, um, you know, growing in the mixed dentition and malocclusions, but then also uh, full fixed appliances. Like bearing in mind, I never wanted to be, um, I, I wanted to be a dentist doing general practice dentistry and not sort of stepping outside the realm that a specialist should be treating, for example. So um, what I wanted to do was find CPD that made it very clear to me what is stepping outside that boundary and when a specialist should be seeing the patient. And um, so then I just started locally and I, I, I did the um, vital orthodontics for dentists in, uh, for ADA New South Wales, um, the CPD centre, and brilliant. So that sort of got me started, inspired. Like I was like, all right, I can be doing these things. And it was very hands-on and um, very full-on days. There were long days and tiring days. And so um, after I'd sort of done that, I thought to myself, well, you know, I can invest one year in learning about this. Surely that will give me the either a confidence to keep going or it's going to tell me to stop so or i'm just going to bloody hate it and then just you know haven't haven't lost tens of thousands of dollars but um and actually it was the the kickstart i needed to actually go i really like this i can incorporate this into my practice i want to do more so then that's sort of why i'm concentrating on on more ortho now because i want to be good at what i do but also know my limits so yeah so are you saying that you know you were were you doing tasters on like weekend kind of courses first or was it that you're like no i i want something a bit um more intensive and that's how you decided to pick it yeah i i think tasters is probably a good a, a good way of saying it i mean there was always like local um local specialists talking about impacted canines and um uh, phase one versus phase two treatment and i was like gosh you know this is cool so uh, those tasters were there but then it was a case of um, what can I do? How can I incorporate that into what I'm actually offering the patient um, that, that's not sort of detrimental to them, I guess. Um, and um, so that's what made me start looking for, I'm going to invest more money in my education and I'm going to look for something reputable and that's something that sort of addresses where I want to start. And, you know, um, for example, the ADA course was, absolutely brilliant i learned so much stuff on it and day one you know it is literally this is how you put a bracket on the tooth so it was actually really good hands-on because you're like wow this is cool oh my god this is a bracket blah 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 um but uh what what it sort of did was missed a little bit of the foundational knowledge or the, the academic side that sort of gets you started on craniofacial growth and understanding a malocclusion and how it sort of starts so that's where i was I, like you know i don't want to just be putting braces on and you know getting this awesome thing I can put on Instagram and go, oh, wow, look how good I am. It was more like I needed to understand what it is that I'm doing. So um, this particular course I'm doing now is, is ticking all the boxes and um, absolutely loving it. And, and so when, when I was looking, I was li literally looking, I know, as I said, I know there's courses in Australia um, and, you know, probably my next journey will be um, 
taking on one of those, those courses. The reason why I've sort of taken on this course for the purpose of talking about it is literally for the fact that, you know, we were just talking earlier, Lawrence, is that um, the beauty of this course um, is that it, it is an online course for the most part. So um, all the didactic component is sort of four hour lectures a week. And, um, you know, I can do that. They're, they're pre-recorded. There's a live session. Obviously, everyone overseas can do it when I'm asleep or whatever, but um, I can watch it at my own leisure, take my own notes. And, um, you know, they, they've sent out this awesome um, practical package that's you know, got um, for Sarco models and all this stuff. And you've got to actually do the exercise, take a photo and email it to them. And the feedback is incredible. Like, you know, um, whoever thought that I could get so much feedback on the angulation of a bracket, but you know, th this is, this is the best part about learning. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause like I was going to say, like for a lot of graduates, they think about there's so many different courses. How do I pick it? Um, and like you said, you picked this one because one, I mean, you already had some practical uh, learning already, but there was that missing theoretical knowledge that you wanted to um, dive into deeply and, and more structured. And then so when it came to picking one, you had to find something that kind of suited what your lifestyle was at the same time as well to complement um, what it was. And you found this online one particularly helpful because it, I mean, even though it's online, it's still... Um, has, like you said, a didactic component to it as well. Yeah, it has the didactic component. And um, uh, so, yes, so the way I sourced this program out was that to, to sort of suit my, my life and um, what I could commit to. And so um, I knew that every Sunday I could spend half a Sunday studying and all that sort of stuff for a period of time. Um, but this, what I was also looking for in a course, and so no one had mentioned to me about this course, right? So this is at London Dental Institute. It's a um, postgrad diploma of ortho and um, dentofacial orthopedics. No one had mentioned this to me. I'd never heard about it. I'd never seen it advertised on social media. But I'm bloody glad I looked at that website because I feel like I've struck it lucky with the education component. Like the, the you know, even though I, I'm, I'm logging in on a Sunday and, and listening to the lecture and making some comments, people are flat out submitting their cases online all day. There'll be about five or six new cases and the, the lecturers are straight onto it and engaging everybody else. What do you think? Could this, you know, that's, that's the best part. So I, I'm kind of, you know, disappointed no one else knew about it because I don't think many people in Australia do it, but- Might be uh, out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, Go for it. Hopefully I get an A. No, um, <laughs> uh, not paid by them either. No, um, but it, um, I, I think sometimes, you know, we, dentistry is sometimes a bit about gut instinct and stuff like that. You know, lots of people will tell you about this awesome course, then it's probably going to be a really good course. And I think in Australia, like uh, CPD junkie and, and the, the availability of what we have now is amazing because heaps of people are talking about it, right? Um, but sometimes do some investigation for yourself and, and maybe that list that you make, this is what I can actually do. Short of becoming a specialist, um, you know, this is what I'm prepared, the time I can put in um, and then versus, you know, my lifestyle is this and, you know. So just, just if you know what you want to do, you, you'll find some courses. Mm. So, you know, everyone reaches a particular point in their life where they're kind of like, oh, the contemplating practice ownership, being a specialist or being a super GP, you know, can you share your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I feel like um, I've, I've hit this question multiple times and, and you know, 
I, I feel like it's the same time that everyone talks about, right? A few years out and all of a sudden you're like, well, where am I going? What am I doing? And you know, Cause I, you're seeing I, your peers doing the same thing. Yeah, that's right. So, so I, I, I think you also start getting that feeling of, oh, I actually enjoy doing this. And that, that might be endo or no, I'm joking. that might be, um, uh, you know, I, I'm a really great restorative dentist. I, I love resins and posterior, blah, blah, blah. You, you might love those things. Um, and there will come that time where you say to yourself, do I want to be a specialist? But the, this time has happened for me probably about three or four times now. Where I've gone right. I, do I want to be a specialist? Then I like, should I do the primaries, this sort of stuff. Um, and the the most common thing that keeps coming back to me is one of the things I love about my job is that yes, I love children's dentistry. Yes, I love ortho, but I like crown preps. I like veneers. I, I still like doing some endo. You know, one canal, uh, one canal wonder. But it's <laughs> it's sort of like. Um, if you specialize, then you're kind of stuck with one particular part of dentistry and, um, and, and, and one demographic of dentistry. So, you know, I don't, honestly don't want to be seeing kids 18 patients a day for the rest of my life. I'll probably have a breakdown, but it's, um, it's, um, you know, you, you, you come to that point of whether you want to specialize or not. And I think inherently, you know, that you want to be a specialist, you, you want to do that, but also, um, you know, it's, it's three more years, right? So I think, um, you know, nothing can replace a specialist course and specialist training, but I think we've got some really great courses now as dentists, you can be proud of and say, yeah, I, I'm not a specialist, but I really love what I'm doing. And this lets me do some more things, right? Um, practice ownership. Well, it, it's, it's funny because it's it, lots of people talk about it. And um, if we jump back to day one of dental assisting, I was always had in the back of my head, I'm going to have a dental practice and it's going to run like this. The infection control is going to be the best, you know, I'll tell the bloody dent. No. And anyway, uh, turns out that it, I went off it for a little bit. So I graduated from dental school and I'm like, bloody hell, you know, there's, there's so much to owning a practice. And so I had all this practice management experience. And then you get to that point where it wasn't long ago when I sort of, uh, you know, I worked for a, a quite a big group of practices that are all owned, uh, you know, by the group. And um, I sort of approached the main man and I was like, look, I, I really want to do this again. And, um, and, and it happened, like it literally happened in, in a few months, literally like getting loaned, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, the, the, the thing that I hear about a lot is when people get into practices and all of a sudden things go really sour and, um, you know, it's, it's not a great experience. Um, just, just do your homework first with owning a practice and, and what you want to achieve out of it. And then I guess you need to, the people you buy in with or the, the other co-owners need to be on the same planet as you. So it's a bit like when you first go, oh, I want to work in this practice because they do this and they're really great at this and you get a good feeling about it. I, I think um, I, I sometimes just feel like I've sort of landed on my feet in, in all aspects of doing something that I really enjoy doing, getting to do the job I want to do, buying into a practice that I absolutely love and I've got heaps of support and mentorship by the other owners. Um, do I want to specialise? <laughs> No, I'm kind of actually pretty happy where I am, to be honest. I, I, if I was a specialist, I couldn't do what I'm doing right now. So, and what I'm doing right now makes me happy. So, stay where I am. Yeah. Well, look, hey, like I was, that's why I bring up this question because people go through their journey and they think about these things because, like I said, they see other peers doing it. And so they're making those progressions in life and they're thinking to themselves, like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Like, how's this all kind of happening? 
So, I mean, before you're a practice ownership, you're you're at the this group practice, but you're an associate, right? Yeah. And so, does this is this um, you've and like you said, you've always had this idea that you might want to be a practice ownership at one point, but then when you graduate, you're like, nah, like I'm okay. And then you're working as an associate, and then you decide, but wait, actually, I'm getting an inkling feeling that I want to, and then so. You're kind of thinking to yourself, I'm just guessing here, are you thinking to yourself, oh, look, this is the kind of practice where you're working at right now is like where you want to be and you kind of see your future in um, and that's when you bring up that conversation? Is that what you're saying? I think there's a couple of points to make for me personally is, and one of those is, um, you know, um, ADA stuff and, and the original CPD I did of... Um, uh, through Leadership Victoria. I love being a leader and I, I really love that role of, you know, leading people and, and blah, blah, blah. So then when you you get into a practice, I when I sort of got up here, I was like still in the back of my mind, but then I thought it probably will never happen, right? Um, I know I look 25, I'm not 25. Um, but I um, it, literally, I, I felt like the time was right because when you're in a place that you immensely trust the other owners like they're your family and and you've asked them questions and you've had conversations about it and when you feel that gut instinct I was telling you about before you know have the conversation you're only having a conversation about it right um but anyway everything felt right and it actually still feels right and it's probably the best thing I've done like to be honest I think part of it was you know coming up and being an associate and you know, you sort of moved out onto a practice where you're working by yourself most days in the week. So there's no other dentist there with you. And part of it came from that because you're leading this team, right? All the, the auxiliary staff and um, other staff members are, are you know, relying on you for answers to everything, right? And then I was like, I actually really enjoy being that person. So um, that sort of, you know, again, re-inspired me to, to have the conversation and, and go for gold and anyway. Yeah, I mean, how does this all end up leading to the part where you're also now becoming the medical advisory committee of the private hospital or this, this yeah. dip uh, practical practice management that you take up with um, New England? Yeah, so the, the, yeah, the, the practice management was years ago before I did dentistry. So um, that was like to manage the, the PEDS practice I was working on. And the condition that I did that job was that I did that deployment to understand budgeting and all that sort of stuff. Um, medical advisory committee, I, said, I can't keep my hands out of it. So like, that's why I was having a little bit of a break from ADA, but literally, um, you know, working at the, the Brisbane Water Private Hospital. And so I, I do regular GA list, uh, list there um, and children and adults, by the way, but I see quite a few special needs patients as well. But um, I literally, you know, you start getting, I've, I've got sort of that bubbly personality where I just pretty much talk to anyone quite happy to talk and then you know um all of a sudden you become recruited recruited to be part of their medical advisory team and I was like wow shit, you know this is this is new like but the best part about that is learning about different aspects of the hospital so there's all these doctors of different specialties there and you know learning about some of the problems that happen in a hospital and then budgetary uh, budgeting restrictions and stuff within the hospital and you're like wow and that's what dentistry brings here and it's yeah so i uh, you know, I'm always happy to give something a go and um, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, of all the CPDs, what was a particular CPD that you would say was a game changer for you? Oh, definitely. So the game changer would have been, um, you know, ADA. Um, 
vital ortho for dentists. Literally, that was the one that I really put my um, beginning bit of money into and just went, right, if it's going to work, it's going to be this. And it actually ticked more than the bar- like more than the boxes that I had there to tick. So it was me going, yeah, I really enjoy this. And I come home and I'm like, this was stuff I could start doing straight away. But it also taught me where to stop. Where's, where's the next point that you would refer to a specialist? And, you know, there's, um, it's always in the back of my mind, you know, that GP ortho, orthodontist, you know, debate that goes on. And um, I'm fortunate with local orthodontists that know I'm doing like ortho. Um, and, and I think they sort of, you know, are they happy? Don't know. But um, would they help me? Probably, yeah. So it's a good relationship. Um, that was the pivotal one. So I'm not just saying that that specific course, but it was that course that I sought to see whether that was what I wanted to do. Mm. So you know, the equivalent might be um, a course in endo or, uh, you know, there's heaps of courses, but it, pick that course that's not going to be just a weekend warrior thing where you go, oh, you know, I learned how much etch will you know, affect the enamel. And, you know, it, it's got to be something that if you're really interested in, go find it. It's there. Um, and then so that was the game, bro. That was the game changer when I actually went, yeah, that's an awesome course. I want to do more. Fortunately, in one of our practices, one of our other general dentists has been doing ortho for like 1.9 billion years. Kidding. Um, but <laughs> he, he's absolutely amazing. And I asked him to be my, my mentor and, you know, can I run cases by him? Absolute legend. And yes, he did. He, he, great information. And, but also made me think about the replies and stuff. So that was the game changer CPD for me. Um, Standout CPD is exactly what I'm doing now. Yeah. So that particular course. And, you know, I, you know, there's possibly um, Australian auto companies out there now, or, um, you know, talking about, oh, you can do the Australian course. Oh, look, I probably will. Like, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. One thing I was going to ask you is, you know, how did you get the most out of your CP? But I think you've just mentioned it. You know, you had that mentoring lined up with you to support you when you had these kind of cases after you had told the practice that you were going to dive into it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I, I think that the best part about the, the multi-practices I work in is it, it feels like most of the dentists have something that they're really passionate about or really like. For example, there'd be dentists that do lots of implants, endo, you know. And, and so when you sort of put it out there, I really like treating children or I'm really taking on some new ortho cases and, you know, class on malacrisions, hit me with it. And these guys trust you immensely and will send you the work. So... The most important part about that was I don't like biting off more than I can chew. And so knowing that I felt confident, but also having that mentor was hugely important because, you know, otherwise if I didn't have the mentor there, yeah, sure. You're doing the CPD and you're learning how to, uh, you know, there are so many things that can change in orthodontics, right? If you put the bracket on wrong, this is the outcome. So it's awesome having that other person there. So yes, I had lined it up and, and that's how it came out. Mm. Do you think there's any particular CPD that you feel like you didn't implement or was not as beneficial for you at the time and you would do differently next time? Um, I feel like, um, you know, I've done a lot of CPD and, and sort of weekend sort of courses, um, you know, as small as they are, they might be a, um, a, you know, pharmacology update or something like that. And I think that's still really important to be doing that stuff anyway, right? Um, I think the one that I really, I really had big big things for was the ad for course and doing um, um, any wrinkle injections and um, lip fillers and whatever. And um, only because I, I have Botox myself. So I was like, can I use this on myself? No, but um, uh, literally I really enjoyed that course. And I remember it being like, Farah, this is the most different thing 
I've done in dentistry and, you know, injecting someone in the face. Cool. Like I felt really positive about it when I walked out of there and came back to the practice. And, and that's a bit of a thing to sort of start up and get a reputation with, right? Because, you know, people getting lip fillers are very, very specific about the way they look. So, um, and I started doing it a little bit and, and then my days were just too busy with the other stuff. And so trying to fit someone in for um, any wrinkle injections and lip fillers um, just sort of dwindled off. And then, of course, was that, um, you know, the regulator questions over whether dentists should be doing Botox and, well, sorry, anti-wrinkle injections. And so I guess after that, it sort of just died down for me a bit and I really haven't got back to it. So I, I guess it's probably the one CPD that I haven't used to uh, to its fully full potential, like I could be doing more. Um, but that's basically because I don't know really where we stand. I don't know that anybody does. Um, but also, I just don't have the time in my day to do it. So um, it's not that I didn't enjoy the course and it's not that I didn't see any value in it. It was just more a few things happened um, with, with the regulation of it. And then also, you know, I think if you're doing a lot of cosmetic dentistry and you know, this forms a, a huge part of lip line and, and all this sort of stuff, um, you could make that weapon practice. So I think that, I, I don't think it was that I didn't enjoy the course. I didn't get anything out of it. I actually really enjoyed it. So cool, like different, um, but I just haven't been able to implement it. And I think that's the, probably the, the one. Oh, fair enough. So I heard Julia Roberts was one of the reasons why you got into dentistry, but who else has been pivotal in your career path and why? Um, I, I, I think um, there, there's a lot of people and, you know, um, you know, we were talking about this earlier and there is a lot of pediatric dentists that I respect for so many reasons. And uh, I guess um, this is, you know, working in emergency at the Children's Hospital Westmead and watching some seriously ill children walk through that door that have been car accidents or whatever. These guys inspired me because they're like, you know, this is not dentistry, just putting a filling in. This is extracting teeth out of the skull of some child that's half their heads caved in from a bus hitting them. And so standout people, um, you know, is Richard Widmer, um, Angus Cameron, Philippa Sawyer, as I said, she was like a, a brilliant um, and still is a mentor to me. I, I still I still call her and ask her about cases. Um, and, you know, that's in Sydney and down in Melbourne, I worked at the um, the uh, the Children's Hospital in Melbourne as well um, as a dental assistant and, you know, Nikki Gilpatrick, James Lucas. But there's also some really cool orthodontists there that sort of all inspire me with cleft lip and palate. So um, literally, um, Kit Chan, I, I don't know if people know her, but also one of our academic leads at, at, at La Trobe Uni, Robert Main, he was so passionate about ortho and I feel like we had a really great undergraduate program in ortho anyway. So I feel like there was this under undertow of, I don't know, tooth straightening from way back then. But the, these people, I think, are the people that inspire me. Um, and the other the other person who inspires me is um, Ned Reston, the, the, the man in on the Central Coast. Everybody knows him, but he, he's his confidence and and leadership qualities and um, his help and trust and support, even with clinical dentistry, but also practice ownership. So, um, you know, I know that stuff's not CPD, but you you can't pay for that advice from someone. No, you know. Yeah. And, and so that was my comment as well, you know, as well as paying all this money for CPD to learn and, and that sort of stuff. Sometimes you can't beat just going and watching a specialist or talking to a colleague and, and getting their opinion and, and help and advice. That's priceless. You can't put a price on that. Mm, yeah, that direct feedback. Um, 
Yeah, so like you said, there's always, not every day is going to be perfect, you know? So can you tell us about any particular struggles that you've had in your CPD or dental journey so far that some of our viewers might not know about? Yeah, oh, well, uh, opera knows. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I think very early on, um, one of the things um, was an incident with a patient that I was seeing my first year out and um, things didn't go great. And, and you know, opera knocking on the door. And that was the worst experience of my life in my first year as a graduate, um, you know, really explaining myself. Um, was it all my fault? No, but uh, it was a horrible experience. So that that's a... Uh, experience in itself that's not a great experience um i i guess every day you're making a mistake somehow to be able to learn right um you know i guess some of the the the, the most common things for me um is you know not making that right decision about when to extract a primary tooth like when back you know a couple of years back i was like oh yeah we can do a pulpotomy and you know, and then there's a recurring abscess. Well, was I trying my best? Yes, but also did I make the right decision at the time? Probably not. So, you know, I, I take that as a failure and a criticism and, and stuff like that, but you're learning from it. Um, orthodontics, you know, I think anyone that does ortho or even looks at ortho, you know, you, you think, oh my gosh, the brackets are on and, and all this sort of stuff. And then it's upside down or it's, um, you know, you put the arch wire in and because the patient's like leaking away and then all of a sudden you put the arch wire in they're not even left the building in a bracket something like oh my god so they're they're just the sort of things that happen to me um but if you don't mind me asking i mean can we talk about that period because it's your um that period where you had the first year when you had opera you know going through that you know for you know it's first year there's a lot of stress going on and then you get stuck with the notice from opera like I, I can't imagine like the amount of panic, the stress that you're kind of going through. Like, how, can you talk to me how you kind of cope through all of that? Um, I literally, literally felt sick. Like my heart sank. Um, you're, you're still on a high from graduating from uni. For me, especially, this is a bloody lifelong dream for me. And then I, I get there. And then the first year out, I'm like, uh, I was doing a reline of a denture. And anyway, it just never satisfied the patient and it didn't work. But the, the under things that were happening with that denture um, with a previous practitioner had been, you know, exo add, exo add, exo add. And, and so this denture was never going to be a great denture anyway. So then I get logged at the end with um, this is all my fault, basically. Um, but fortunately, with the practice support and the principal, we were able to work through it. And um, again, that's, that's my point about uh, why I feel so lucky that I had a really um, ethical dentist to help me get through my first and second year out because, you know, when, you know, not to bring this up, but these are one of the reasons why I felt like I had some really good support. Um, it was the worst time of my life, to be honest. Like I could have actually just stopped doing this and, and I probably would have been a lot happier if I stopped and just going to work every day, thinking that every patient you're doing anything for and, I, and I'm even talking about a bloody fish sealant or a scale and clean I'm like oh my god I you start thinking about it and overthinking it and um it's so consuming that it affects your sleep because all you're thinking about in nighttime is like what 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 can happen can I be deregistered why isn't anyone you know and, and um you know then it finally moves on to your professional indemnity insurance and you know that's another headache in itself because they're sort of just like well you know what just pay them and you're like but so it, it was the toughest I think it was up there with the toughest thing I've ever done like it, it was uh, it all came back fine I I didn't have to 
um, pay me money, anything like that. Um, but it was, you know, by the time you get that NARPA, uh, NARPA, NARPA notification to the time it's investigated and all this and stuff, it's eight, nine weeks later. And as a new grad in your first year out, I'm not saying that it's any less than being 20 years out, but it affected everything I did. And so I was really, really shy to do anything after that. So it actually affected me for, for a couple of years after that. Yeah, because like if you, I think for a lot of new grads, they don't realize that it's not just a, okay, it's a one day thing, you know, like a one week thing. It's like a long period, like you're alluding to it. Like it, it goes on for two months or so before it becomes resolved. And it's, you know, you're, you're going home and you're, it's kind of affecting, you know, you're not thinking straight. Whereas you know, as a clinician, you got to be, this is, I'm doing this job right now. I've got to be focused in on here, but you know, you can't help but have this emotion. You, you, you feel hopeless and you feel um, like you can't do anything. And, and there was this guilt that I graduated from dental school that felt like, you know, I had all these competency, competency, competency. And then you come out and you're, you're not competent. Like it, it, it actually was really the worst feeling. And, you know, you, in that time, you're still talking to all your friends that you went to uni with, right? So you're like, shit, this really happened to me. And, and no one else is experiencing it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your age guy. Like, it's just, um, it was it was horrible. And to, the other thing too is to come home and talk to your partner and uh, and or other people about it outside of dentistry. Have no idea what it feels like. No, oh, it'll be right. No, I don't worry about them. Uh, well, you know, I know that. But, you know, when you're an ethical person, you can understand why the patient's made a complaint. Uh, yeah, it's, it was a really horrible experience. And, and I, I would truly hope that, A, I never have to go through it again. Probably will, don't know. But um, at least I've got some more experience and know that I'm not hopeless and know that, you know, it took me a while to feel any kind of confidence in what I'm doing. So actually, you know, I've got this really great story, but my first, at least first and second year out, it was, it was a bit of a tough gig. I, most days felt like I didn't know what I was doing. So I felt like I was like at first year dental school being asked to do a surgical extraction in the fifth year. That's what I felt like. So, um, and crap. But anyway, <laughs> the good news is life goes on and you start feeling better about yourself and you, you just surround yourself with the people, you know, who you aspire to be like and remember the reasons why you did things and this is one person. And if nothing else, it got me better, I think, at um, I've always been really good at note writing and making sure everything's in the notes. So I didn't have a problem with that stuff. But what it, what it really helped me do was really make sure my verbal consent with a patient is clearly understood. Like, I, I don't think there's many patients that I talk to now that don't clearly understand what we're talking about. They, they know what they're... So without being exhausted for like a 45-minute conversation about getting consent, right? So um, I think there were some really good things to take out of it for myself. Do I want to go through it again? No. But also, if you are going through it and this is happening to you, talk about it because bottling it up to yourself is not a great way to be and, and someone else will be going through it um you know there's a couple of sites on um facebook um i can't think of the name the of mental now. block yeah mental block and and what a great platform like it, there's nothing to be ashamed of when you're feeling crap about what's going on so and there's someone's possibly done it in the past or done it before you so love what you do and i think that's what what, what brings you back but yeah the, I hope that helps in some way. Like, yeah, this, this happened to me in my first year. I'm happy to talk about it anytime. Um, yeah, I, just, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's just nuts. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for sharing that, you know, because, you know, maybe some of your, even, some of your friends probably didn't even know that you went through that, like colleagues 
when you graduated that probably didn't even know yeah well i think too it's not something that you always want to broadcast either because you know everyone's talking about this awesome job that they got and, uh, and you're like oh cool i got an alpha complaint and now I'm, so yeah, it's it's not something that you would broadcast at the time and i'm more than happy to talk about it now honestly it's mm. what doesn't kill you makes you stronger right? <laughs> <laughs> So um, we'll pivot a little bit. So let's talk about what your ideal clinical day kind of looks like, the type of procedures you might be getting up to. My ideal, I think it's pretty much doing what I'm doing now, to be honest. I, um, I, 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 um, I have a fairly busy day, like, to be honest. Like, it's not a bad problem to have. I know people are like, oh, shut up, Andrew. But I, I have a fairly busy day every day. And um, uh, I, I think my ideal day would be having just a little bit more time for each patient. Um, and um, because a lot of my days spent talking people through treatment as well. So I find it quite exhausting. So my ideal day would be seeing six patients a day and still getting paid the same amount of money. Um, <laughs> or or um, pe pe perhaps, um, you know, dropping a day a week, maybe just to spend some time doing other things. My ideal day, do, still doing PED stuff, but I'm um, also, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward possibly in the future to doing a bit of DSD work, like maybe doing the digital smile design course and um, some more um, OSA sort of stuff and TMD stuff. That sort of stuff interests me a little bit as well. So um, my ideal day is probably not that much different to what I'm doing now, to be honest. Brian, and so what you're doing now is, is it is all, just all kids and ortho? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, sorry, that was the question. Right, sorry. <laughs> uh, I love talking about myself. No, um, so my, my typical day at the moment, it, it's sort of a mixture. I'd say probably 70% of my day is children, um, maybe about 80% of my day is children and ortho. And then the other 20% is um, grown-ups and um, like um, crown preps, endo. So still doing all the, the other stuff as well, but probably in the amounts that I like. Like I, I would not enjoy doing four endos a day, for example. That would be like um, <laughs> for me. But um, yeah, I, I think that balance is still nice because like I was saying, you know, it's one of the reasons why I don't want to be a specialist is because I like the ability of seeing adults and having an adult conversation as well. So engaging with kids is one of the one of my favorite things to do, but also that's quite exhausting. So like I was saying, you know, a whole day of, of children's dentistry, um, kudos to the pediatric dentist. I love love working with them, but I, I couldn't do it five days. Mm. I probably do the same by now. But um, but my ideal day is sort of balancing a little bit. Actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, as an associate, how would you suggest to them that if they want to get into the general anesthetic side of things, you know, um, how do they get themselves involved if they're going to decide they want to tackle more pediatric dentistry in more complex cases? Um, so I, I, I would say if um, general anesthetic um, treatment provider under general anesthetic, you need to be really, really organized and really confident because one of the, the things that I talk about with the other practitioners actually is, you know, um, going into general anesthesia um, it's very important keeping to time, but also you're sort of the last resort. So imagine doing like a surgical extraction on a, I don't know, a, a grossly curious upper seven or something and stuff goes wrong. You're the last person, you're the only person there to, to sort it out, right? So you need to be relatively com um, confident in what you're doing. I'd say if you want to do that sort of stuff and, and do children, uh, do children, but um, treat children under general anesthetic, um, perhaps if it's something that you're really interested in, spend some time with a pediatric dentist 
watch them, tell them that you're interested. Because if you truly are, they're more than happy to have you come along and, and you can actually learn so much, but that's how you get the confidence. You don't want to be going to GA, never having done it, and then providing like all this treatment. Um, everyone in GA, you know, looks at you very differently, like you're a dental surgeon and you're, you know, oh yes, doctor. And you know, this stuff that you never really experienced in a dental surgery. And there's a there's more of an expectation of you as well. So I think if it's something that you're interested in doing, 100%, it's very rewarding, really love it. No one talks to you. Um, yeah, mouth props in, off you go. Um, but I, I would say if that's something that you're thinking that you want to do, it's not something that you can just go, oh, I'm going to do that tomorrow. You, you know, you need to get you know into a hospital and you need to do all the accreditation stuff to get in there. You need to find an anaesthetist you can work with. Um, but also, um, you need to be quite confident. So if it's something that you think about doing, um, you know, and you don't know who to contact, email me. Like, I'm sure my email is there. I'm more than happy to find someone like a pediatric dentist. You probably know them anyway. But they, they, they are all so lovely and will let you go and watch. You know, they'll encourage you and help you to set it up. So you never know. If you work in the same place as them taking kids there, they might already have it there for you. <laughs> It's quite expensive to set up in there, like a mobile dental trolley, an x-ray machine, consumables, equipment. It, it's fairly expensive. But, you know, I, I think if, if you really want to do it, like we're talking about with CPD, if it's something you really want to do, find, do the homework, find, find exactly what it is you want and what parts of that that you like. One of those things might be going, I'm going to call the pediatric dentist and go and spend a day in GA with them. It might turn you completely off as well. So do the homework first. Find somebody. Mm, definitely. So... Do you have any, just to wrap it all up, is there any words of wisdom you want to give to the budding young dentist? Oh, yeah. I literally um, just love what you do. You spend so much time at uni um, and, and, and grueling time at uni, right? So you get out and, 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 and you're able to practice dentistry. Just love it. Don't, don't make it be that consuming thing. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to, you know, I don't know, you know, do a full mouth oral rehabilitation in, in, in week one. What you do need to do is crawl before you can walk, right? Be good at the things you've learned and the things that you can be good at. And then you'll learn about what it is that you really want to do. If you're struggling to find what it is that you want to do, let time be the, the, the decider. You'll eventually decide what you want to do. That might be public health dentistry. It might be research. But don't feel, my advice is don't feel that, which I think is hard with social media, right? But I, I think don't feel like you've got to walk out of uni and be, be the, the absolute best of the best. Spend some time finding a good mentor. I know that's hard to actually balance with trying to find a job. But if you can find someone that you can work with that looks at your work and gives you constructive criticism, take on the criticism, right? It's not a bad thing because we all learn from it. So uh, that would be my thing. I, I think just try and love it. Love it for what it is and enjoy the fact that you're starting to earn a little bit of money and you can, I don't know, go out for dinner and I don't know, do those things, but also find some personal time for yourself. Mm. I mean, I, I do want to say one thing is that it's interesting that you say that because like you said, when you graduated, you're a more and mature student um, graduating. And even then you're still saying, look guys, you just need to, um, slow it down, just take it slowly. And you know, sometimes it is that time, but it's interesting because you say that because like I said, you're a mature student. So it's interesting that you don't say, you don't feel pressured to rush because you know, a lot of 
uh, graduates now, they are postgrads and undergraduates, you know, so they've either had three, four years under their belt before they graduate. And they're like, oh man, like these kids are gra- graduating and they're only 23 and I'm like 25, 27, like, you know? Yeah. I, I felt, I do, I do feel like as the mature age student, there was, um, there was some need for me to, I don't know, get out and be awesome. I don't know. Uh, but it, it's soon, um, I, I just, just keep it real, right? Don't feel like you've got to do those things. And maybe that's someone at your graduation ceremony telling you, don't feel you need to be, just go slow. I, you know, um, there was a little bit of a hurry for me, uh, like given my age of graduation and, and all these bills piling up in my private life. And um, I was in a little bit of a rush to see patients, I guess. Um, but um, oh, my, my advice is don't, don't rush it. But also from the very beginning, like I know there's all these things. I want to be the best. I want to do, I want to be really good at this. I, actually, my, my prime advice is to learn from the very start how to balance it right so you you work five days a week or six days a week or whatever you're working but that's your personal time there don't spend so much of your personal time still thinking about work and cvd stuff make it work for you but find the quiet time in your head to actually do something that you like because if you spend so much time doing this you have absolutely no balance over here and i don't like saying that work-life balancing because it doesn't gel with me but i'm just saying have a balance. So what's more important to me and my clear advice is make sure you still have a bit of this balance here to balance out the hard stuff. You'll get there. You know, you've got a lifetime, right? You got how many years are you going to spend doing industry? You've got heaps of time to get there. What's the race? You know, um, I remember people getting their assignments done at uni and there was never a big race. So don't, 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 don't sweat it. You'll get there. Like, you know, it's taken me years to sit here and go, this is what I really enjoy doing. So yeah definitely well dr andrew sprout thank you for coming on the show today if you could let the people know how they can find you or what's kind of going on in your life um people can find me on social media probably being annoying um i say um that you know i'm on the sunny coast but i'm you know i'm always happy if you send me if you want to know something i, I don't you know whatever it is you want to know um you know i'm on instagram um facebook Contact me anytime, have me as a friend, say something funny. I don't know. I, I love um, interacting. So um, anytime, <laughs> as I said, too, if you want some advice on like GA stuff, not that I, you know, you know I, I'm quite happy to point you in the right direction if I can help you. So, um, but it'd be good to chat to anyone anytime. Yeah. So um, I, yeah, otherwise you'll find me on the Central Coast. We'll leave it. We'll definitely leave it in the show notes uh, for the people to find. Thank you. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.